computers. This is Intelligent Performance. Welcome to Intelligent Performance, where we are fanatical about excellence in human endeavor. And today, we're talking about excellence in walking with an Olympic double Olympian actually, Tom Bosworth. He's got six British records in terms of walking. He's 13 British Championship World Medals. He's the world record holder three times over, including the fastest ever walked one mile. So he's gonna go into detail as to how he's achieved these things, what's been some of the breakthroughs. And just for some context, this guy can walk a five kilometer race in 18 minutes and 20 seconds. I can't even run it in that kind of time. And so we're gonna go into what does it take to achieve these types of results? How do you stay motivated in a walking race which is at blistering pace for an hour and 20 minutes? And what is it actually like to compete in an Olympic final? We're gonna go into all of that on this episode of Intelligent Performance. Tom, thanks for joining us. And where I'd love to start this conversation is actually a bit about how you think about performance and how you think about success. So you've been a very successful athlete. If you look at your medals and history and what you've done. So I'm, I'm really curious, like, how did you approach it? How did you start to think about that? And how did you kind of, yeah, start to think about success? What did it start to mean to you? For me, Personally, I, I've been successful all my life when I look back at it, and that is not a arrogant uh, said in an arrogant way. That is because I have had a career in sport and never even dreamt as a child that I would be in sport of any kind, whether that's playing grassroots sport or, or being an Olympic athlete. So, yeah, for me, every time I achieved anything, I thought that was the pinnacle. Never thought it was really going to get any better but one thing I never did was set any limits to what I I would I would celebrate a success as if it was the pinnacle and and the most I could I could achieve but then I would you know stick my head down and go back and keep working hard and set myself another goal I never you know I never was confident I would achieve it but I achieved the last one so I might as well just work for the next one and that was basically how I looked at you know most of my adult life as a, as a kid being a skinny ginger lad who you know wasn't very confident in a game of football or rugby uh, I didn't really know what sport was for me it was I really enjoyed watching it I really enjoyed taking part but you know team sport just wasn't for me so when I found track and field it was uh, yeah a bit of a godsend really I could go as fast or as slow as as I wanted nobody else was relying on me for a performance and my first coach just encouraged me to turn up and my parents did the same they just dropped me off and never expected anything of it so the lack of expectation I think made me the successful person I, I am today because every time I achieved anything I was in utter shock <laughs> <laughs> so how did you how did you reset them if like if you feel like you've quote unquote made it maybe that's not how you would deem success but how did you reset and how did you kind of make sure you didn't lose that enjoyment of it almost yeah that that is really really important because that's all I ever did sport for was to keep fit and and the enjoyment of it you know I, I did this bizarre unknown event within track and field so it was it was kind of just about turning up and and, and enjoying it really and, and in my early 20s it it kind of became apparent there was a chance I could make a career out of this, potentially go to 
Olympics, World Championships, Commonwealth Games and the rest of it. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that's where it kind of went to, right, every day, just, just turn up, do your best and, you know, eat, sleep, train, repeat. Sort of thing. And that's where the mindset changed from just turning up, having fun and, and seeing what happens to the professional outlook of training and everything in between from getting your recovery in, you know, getting solid hours of sleep, everything that comes comes with that. So, yeah, and it's it, you you learn as you go as well because this is you know sport professionally until you've experienced. There's no way you can understand what it's like. So every year, every every day, every month was sort of new as I tackled injuries to new opportunities you know uh ultimately going through the various championships and, and making the olympic games so can you provide some insight as to perhaps what is the misconception briefly about professionalism professional sport that's just specifically your domain and then versus the reality what how would you kind of say they're different oh very vastly i think you know especially with Olympic sport, most people, even if they're fans of the sport, will will see races and competitions once or twice a year, or maybe even less, you know, once every four years at the Olympics. And it looks all so glamorous. And the Olympics is great fun. It really is. It's, it's probably still to this day the best experience of my life. So, you know, the, the payoff, I guess, is, is uh, worth it. But that's a crucial bit, is a payoff, because... You're training, you know, I was training twice a day, every day, six days a week. You don't have a life. You do get to travel, which is fantastic. And, you know, a lot of my friends would say, oh, you're here, there and everywhere, which is great. But all you see is an athletics track and a hotel room. Yeah. Um, maybe a coffee shop. So, you know, very, very sort of selfish but selfless life. And you kind of, it, it's grueling. It, it's exhausting. You are exhausted you're on the edge of exhaustion every single day because you're pushing yourself, but you don't want to push yourself too far to make yourself ill or, or get injured. Uh, there's no guarantee of any reward, intrinsic, financial, medals. There's, there's none. There's no guarantee that you can work as hard as you like and still come 10th, 20th, 4th. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's brutal. And, you know, you have those worries of, you know, you're putting your personal life on hold. You're putting... Uh, Potentially, you know, in Olympic sport, there's very little money. I was really fortunate enough to earn enough from the sport to to live off it. So, you know, that's the real real world. But I'll also say, like, sit here and make it sound so so you know hard work. I mean, it is hard work, but anything you really put effort into is hard work. And I was, I wouldn't say lucky enough, but I got on that pathway to to being a professional athlete. And, and I grabbed it with both hands, really. And I, yeah, I just think that's it's there's a lot worse things to be doing in life than doing sport every day. Totally get that. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. So so what I always find curious about sport, right, is that if you take soccer, walking, running, whatever, it's becoming more and more commoditized, right? Access to information, coaches, blah, 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 nutrition. It's more and more widely available. So I often wonder, how do you think about, how do you get an edge in this? Like how have you gone out, you know, been able to achieve world records right, by significant margins compared to 
I like the run of the, the other people who are also putting in the hard yards, <laughs> like you know, doing tr- training twice a day. Like, what is that? How did how did you think about edge and achieving that? I think that comes down to my personality, and personality is all in your head, and I think racing is all in your head. Uh, you obviously have to do the hard work, but racing is about one moment on one day, and my personality is I everybody should have an equal opportunity to do whatever and and uh, in athletics and track and field you know there's there's the diamond league meets around the world which don't include a handful of athletics events there's no hammer in it and there's no race walks in it and there's a few others that aren't aren't in it and and so i went to the organizers of the biggest diamond league pretty much in the world which is held in london after the Rio Olympics, and I said to them, you know, anybody else who's finished top eight in the world or top eight at the Olympic Games that I had the year before when I finished sixth would sort of have a bit of a showpiece event at the following Diamond League in, in London. You know, anyhow, the home athlete, British athlete, would have, whether it's the 1500, you know, they would feature in that or 200 metres, you know, there'd be a prominent name in that and, and there'd be a big race there. So why can't we put on a short track meet? for for a walking race diamond league and i was expecting a straight up no you know it's not it's not an event that they have to put on in in the meet so why would they but yeah they turned around to me and said yes okay we'll do it and i was like amazing we'll invite some of the best walkers in the world over and yeah we can showcase the event the olympic distance is 20 kilometers so you can't really do that on a tv track meet sort of thing so we have to <laughs> coming and going over 3k or, or the mile which is a really famous distance so we set settled on on the mile it's often done at a few indoor meets uh, but not often done done outdoors too t- very often so it's thought this is going to be unique first ever diamond league race walk but they said if you want to do it if we were going to do this we have to make it a big deal and so we want you to go after the world record so i looked up the world record and it was 535, I think, at the time, set the year I was born. Wow. Um, so it was like, oh, God, no one's come close to this in 20 odd years. What on earth do I do? I say yes. But yeah, it was me. So I said, yes, I'll go for it. And that is, you stick me on a start line in front of 15,000 people, or however many were in the Olympic stadium that day, knowing that I had asked for this race and it was on me to perform. And yeah, I overachieved, I think. I broke the record by about four seconds. And it was, <laughs> was you know, jubilation, really. I just couldn't believe I crossed the finish line and, and broken a world record. And, and that's what I mean by my personality. I get myself in these silly situations and then I've got to, I've got to deliver and I've got to perform. Um, but I love it. I, my coach always said I raced to a higher level than I ever trained. You know, he would always be... He said, if there's any a safe bet to, to at least get a decent performance, it'll be me. Then, you know, occasionally there'll be these moments that I'd really, really overachieve. And and that's all in your head. Wow. So I'm just trying to think about, so you're stood at that in front of how many people? 20,000 people, is that what you said? Something like that, 15, 20,000 people. 15, yeah. 20. And then, so what were you thinking about? I'm intrigued to know. Like, were you like, oh my God, like, it's going to look real bad if I, like, I'm going to look like an idiot. Were you, were you more like, I've got such an opportunity? I'm just intrigued to think about what was that, the pressure or perhaps you felt, was it the sheer accountability or 
disappointing. Yeah, all, all of the above, really, with something like that. <laughs> you know, I because of like I said earlier, I never put any expectation. I never thought I'd achieve anything within sport. I never got nervous before races. The first time I ever did was I got I got really nervous before the Rio Olympics, but and it was literally in the cool room, in the holding room before the race. I realised I was at the Olympic Games, and so yeah, that was basically it. All hit home, and that was the first time. Excuse me, first time I'd ever got nervous before a race because I suddenly realised how big a deal this was. And ever since that moment, I got I got nervous at races because suddenly it meant something. Suddenly, I you know, from 2016 onwards, I was you know always in the top eight in the world. Top, yeah, if not higher, every meet. I raced at and so um, yeah it was it was bizarre to have gone from pre-2016 just trying to get to the Olympic Games I thought maybe I could get top 30 or top 20 finish and I'll be over the moon with that let alone then to finish sixth and then suddenly have eyes on me and then have this TV meet uh, in the London Olympic Stadium and so then it was like I want to perform because what a great opportunity it was I want to perform for the organisers so they want to do it again. You know, basically, I basically come and said, look at me. I, I finished sixth at the Olympic Games. I'm one of the best in the world. You know, I need to keep that up. And, and yeah, it was so many conflicting feelings. But as soon as the gun went off and the race started, it was it was just it was just another race. I mean, it was, I knew the pace. I knew my splits. I had every hundred metres of the 1600 meters and nine uh, I I had every 100 meter split in my head of what I had to go through so I was keeping an eye on the big big clock and uh, with a lap to go unless I vomited or shit myself excuse my language um, which can happen in races um, I, I knew I was going to get it uh, because once you get to the last lap adrenaline just carries you around anyway uh, and and so yeah I, I I hit halfway and I was like I oh, this is starting to absolutely kill because of the walking technique hitting the higher end speeds is just so it's so difficult to push yourself to to the next point because the technique is so limiting and it's so so difficult on the body your leg has to land straight so imagine if you're, your heel striking every way so your leg has to land straight and that's that's the most challenging part to it and then not losing sort of contact with the ground enough that the judges see it and and you know, I remember, I think I received one yellow card, you get three, or a red card, if you get three reds, you're out. Uh, and I thought, right, just really, really focus on your technique, because when my technique's at my best, I'm most efficient. And it was thus all this sort of focus of ignore the pain, it's only a short race, this isn't a 20k, just push, 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 you know, to think about the, the technique to allow you to be efficient ignore the pain, think technique, ignore the pain. And and yeah, I got to that last lap and I looked at the clock and just thought, yes, yes, I'm going to do this. And it was, it, I, you know, the last lap was just electric and I absolutely loved it. And the crowd really got into it. You know, they've been told, obviously, I was going after the world record attempt. And, you know, when people hit the famous four minute mile uh, running it, for people to when they hear the time of five and a half minutes walking it, you know, that also just blew people's mind. Uh, and yeah, that last hundred metres was just just electric. And I actually saw the clock at the finish line and realised I was going to be about six seconds under the record. And I thought, if we do this again, 
I don't want to make it too hard to beat. So I actually edged off a little bit <laughs> and finished up with 5.31. I think it could have been about 5.29 or something. But yeah, I purposely edged off because it was a pretty good payday as well if I achieved the world record, So, which was a rarity as well. So I just thought I was just my financial mind on me going, what's right for business would be to <laughs> wait and do this again next year. So you got commercial right at the end. I like that. Absolutely. So, and Tom, maybe did I miss something there? So did you break the world record during the Rio games or did we switch mid-conversation from Rio yeah, to the Yeah, we switched. Sorry, we switched. that was yeah, really... cool. yeah. That's all right. No, it was kind of as a result of the Rio Olympic Games. So the Olympic Games, the Olympic distance is 20 kilometres, basically a half marathon. Yeah, so it's right. vastly different to short track meets. And so, yeah, the Diamond League is is kind of the the Formula One Grand Prix of, of track and field, you know, they're, they're shorter TV meets, all events, bar a few, uh, that happen all, all over the world. You build up points, basically, and, and there's a final at the end end of the year, and it runs every single year, but there's no race walking in it, which is kind of the why I went from the Rio Olympic Games, having had a successful one, why I used that as a catalyst to go to cool. these organisers and say, let's put this this short one mile race on. Cool. Very, very cool. So I want to go back to the Olympics if you're comfortable with that. And that actually, because we think about pressure is a really interesting thing. How people perform under pressure can vary dramatically. Um, I had the pleasure of speaking to one of the like, kind of premier uh, Australian swimming team uh, coaches called Dean Boxall. And the way he talks about pressure was that people don't rise to the occasion, they lower to their training level. And I, I'm intrigued because it, from what you just said, actually, it sounds like it might be the opposite in terms of you found that you could rise to the occasion. And in fact, it, the pressure, the accountability, the, oh my God, you know, like all of that seemed to drive you in some way. So when at the Olympics, when it really mattered, how did you find the, did you find, did you feel pressure? Did you feel like, how did you navigate that when you were in that kind of locker room ready to go? Like, how did you yeah, start to process that? Yeah, for Rio, that was really difficult. I'd done Commonwealth Games, I'd done World Championships, I'd done European Championships. But the the Olympic Games was when, in, in 2016, was when it really hit home and, and the nerves started, like I said, in the cool room moments before the race. So it was really hard to process it. My stomach was going to pieces. And I actually said to myself from the start line, I went and stood, it was on, it's, the, the major championships are all on road. So uh, it's a road lap. And I went and stood at the back of the start line of all the athletes of all 60, well, I think it was about 70 of us. And I, I literally stood on the back because I thought I ruined my race because my stomach's gone. So I don't know whether, you know, I'm going to need the loo. I don't know whether the, the nerves are going to cause cramping. And, you know, if your core's weak, you're never going to be able to to sort of hold up the technique and, and the pace for, for an hour and 20 minutes. But um, yeah, we, we're talking about lowering yourself to, lowering yourself to, the tra- to your training level or ra- rising to the occasion, you're spot on. Very, very few people can rise to the occasion. Very, very few. Most people do, as you say, and lower themselves to, to their training level. And I know this firsthand because I don't know how, but I just love, I love racing, whereas other people get very, very nervous and you can see it written all over their, their face. I trained, but lots of friends in the sport. I would train with medalists from all, all over the world. And I would often be the worst on the training 
track or on the road. I might do the least amount of miles. I might be the sl do the slowest rep or whatever it is. That purely because I know how my body works and I didn't want to do any more. I'd get injured or whatever. And when I was younger, I'd often give in to pressure of the guys going, oh, why are you stopping already or whatever, you know, and I'd end up injured. So I learned what, what works for me. And if you have confidence in what works for you and, and you ignore sort of those in your ear telling you to do more, telling you to do something else. I'm like, I was like, no, no, I know what works. Me and my coach know what works. We'll just we'll just stick at it. And almost every single time it paid off on race day because I could rise to the occasion. I knew the work was done, but I knew I just had to focus on each each lap, tick it off, and the result will will come. And Rio was the first real example of that. I mean, honestly, uh, it's still one of my biggest regrets is I led I led that race for 16 of the 20 kilometres in Rio. And my aim going into that was to finish somewhere in the top 30 or top 20 in the world. I think I was ranked about 32nd in the world. And throughout it, I just stuck to my race plan. Again, I knew my splits. I knew, you know, I discussed the plan through with my coach. It's going to go off at four minute, just over four minute kilometres. And yeah, you know, the race is usually one in about one hour 19 low. And sort of pace would have put me about one hour 20. So I knew I knew I could be there if I got close to my PB, but I didn't expect to be first for any point. So when we're 75% of the race through, all that was <laughs> going through my head was they're gonna, those guys are going to catch me. Right. And even with 4K to go, I said, oh, I could still potentially finish top 20 wow. when the lead pack had finally, finally caught me. I wish I wish with 16, 16K done, I'd just gone, I could win the Olympic Games. Go, 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 go. Is that's I just wish I'd had that mindset, but I just didn't think I was good enough. I just never thought this could happen to me. Wow. So even though I wasn't, I had the nerves beforehand. They went as soon as the race started, and that became common practice. But yeah, it was my naivety, I guess, to just how good I could be was was gutting. Now I look back at it. I mean, I was overjoyed. I broke the British record at the Rio Olympics and finish sick you know so I couldn't have asked for much more really but when I look back at it I just think especially because with about 2k to go I'd been there was about 10 in the lead group including myself and I found myself in ninth place so I, I could see the front group just starting to string out a little bit with 2k to go and I thought oh what have I done? I've led the entire Olympic Games. And that's where I clawed back three more places in the last 2K. And it just showed it was all in my head. I, wow. I doubted myself. I let the front group catch me. But then when I realised what the hell was going on, you know, I just got almost kicked back up a gear and, and clawed those, those uh, places back. And it's why I just, throughout this, I've said racing is a, it's all in your head. And, and it, it really, it truly is. That is an epic story, Tom, and one which is so, <laughs> so contrarian to what I thought you might say. Because uh, you, you typically hear, oh, I'm going to win. Like, you go, like, it's not necessarily about, I actually think yours is probably more real for most people. And I think it's probably more relatable. And I, and I yeah, certainly like take my hat off around the courage to share that. It's awesome. So I'm intrigued to know. You've learned that's a massive lesson around mindset, painful one 
in many regards. You've now started to transition. You, know, you retired from professional sport last year. You've now moved into you know, some initiatives around walking, some walk with Tom, which is all about getting corporates out of their off their chairs or at their sofas, that kind of thing. So I'd love to hear a bit more about that. So how have you gone on to apply a lot of that now? Like what do you, how do you look back on that and how do you go? What's your view looking forward as to how you can garnish the gold from that, as it were, even though you didn't necessarily win, as you said, the Olympic yeah. Games? Um, yeah, I mean, going back to Rio, it was it was the happiest I'd ever been after a race. Well, okay. it, it's, it's only now that I look back and, and go, you know, the last few years I go, oh, why did I think like that? Because then onwards, I never I never went into a race saying, I, I will win this. But I went in saying, I have a chance of winning this. I'm good enough. And that's self-belief there going on. So, like I said, and, you just sorry, just, did that make a difference, Tom? Have you, did you find that to a that chance? It added pressure to myself. You know, I added the pressure to myself because I wanted to back that up. You know, I didn't want to be 20th every single time then going on. And and although I never I never medaled at Olympics or Worlds, I, you know, what in, in track and field, there's something we call finishing in the top eight, which is if you were running the 100 metres, finishing the top eight means you made the final because there's eight lanes. So, so that was kind of my... At that point, after Rio, I said, right, my next goal is to have a top eight finish at every single major championships, Olympics, Worlds, Europeans and Commonwealths. And I, and I achieved that. So that was something I, you know, absolutely, it kind of says, yeah, for me, I might not have that Olympic or world medal, but I did it at every chance. I was good enough, you know, I did something good in my, in my career and I and I showed it wasn't just a one, one-off race sort of thing. Mm. But yeah, that point it was how how do I utilize so it was like I I'm a very extroverted person I wanted to race walking on the map a little bit I wanted it was a very forgotten event in track and field often was overlooked for rich championships and and TV races like I said and that's where I changed that you know we ended up with three three or four TV meets uh, we did a walking race versus a runner uh, where he had to run, I can't remember, a lap more than me. And he had to see if he could catch me. And it was brilliant. Everyone was like, what on earth is going on here on national telly? But then when the last lap came and he was closing on me and whether I could outwalk him, it was brilliant. Great entertainment. But it was just being creative, doing something different and making a bit of a name for myself because I knew race walking wasn't going to pay the bills. But being Tom Bosworth, if I made a name for myself, could and that was kind of how I looked at it. It was how how can we be creative with this? But what was important, none of that could get distracted from training and performing because the credibility was so important. You know, I ended up captaining the England athletics team at the Commonwealth Games in 2018 and then won a medal and broke the British record there. Then went on and finished seventh at the World Championships in Doha in 2019. You know, so each year then after, I was delivering and then I had probably the most perfect winter training I'd ever had. My coach turned around to me and said, I don't think you've ever missed a day. I don't think you've missed a day this winter. I don't think you've even missed a single kilometre. Um, in And that was about February 2020. Came home and set the eighth fastest 5K time in history. And then five days later, broke the 10K British record. And was about two weeks off my first 20 kilometres when COVID hit. Both those times were world leads, number one in the world. So maybe 
in a different universe i might <laughs> i might have had a olympic medal it like it's it, it's not a regret because there's nothing i could do about it mm. timing in sport is crucial yeah and I was probably coming beautifully into my peak by the summer of 2020. And I just had, again, selfishly, I basically trained in Australia. I'd gone chasing the heat because we knew we'd be racing in Tokyo, Australia, then South Africa, came home for about a week at Christmas to spend with my family, you know, then back traveling to the next training camp. You know, I, I was doing everything in my power to be the best I possibly could be. And I remember doing those two opening races in 2020 and I did break a sweat, but when I mean I barely broke a sweat, I was like, I, I was just in such good shape. And it, <laughs> every time I talk about it, it breaks my heart a little bit. Because, <laughs> yeah. But I also hate the, the athletes or the people who said, oh, if I'd done this or I'd done that, you know, I, I would have won this or I would have won that. There's no guarantee I would have won. I could have come fourth or I could have come sixth again. Oh. Um, but I knew I'd given myself every opportunity to to deliver at Tokyo in 2020. Uh, and I was, you know, my teammates, the national governing body head of endurance was even, he doesn't really, he didn't really know that much about race walking, but took an interest in what I was doing. He said, you're in, you're in great shape this, win uh, this year, aren't you? I was like, yeah, this winter's gone well. And yeah, as I say, three weeks later, COVID hit and the world stopped. But, you know, it was the same for everybody. And all I did then was try and chase that sort of form and, and that got, got me injured, unfortunately. Just trying to replicate that year, you know, for 2021. And, and that cost me sort of probably a, a big performance in Tokyo. But uh, I ended up 25th, I think, in the end. But I, I'd, I, I was completely injured for a lot of that year. So, so it was at that point that I went, right, I want to go on to Paris, onto the Paris Olympic Games. I want to give, that, give myself one more opportunity to win an Olympic medal. I, if I got myself in that sort of Olympic medal winning shape in 2020, I can do it in 2024. But that was also in the back of my head was, you know, this won't last forever. Look what's happened in 2021. This is the first time you've ever not, you know, the roller coaster has gone down significantly only once before had that happened and now I'm 31 I'm not 25 so let's have a think about what we're doing here and, and how can I really utilize what I've achieved what I've learned and I think it also goes hand in hand with Covid is that walking suddenly became an accessible form of fitness yeah. which people completely overlooked yeah and I said I thought to myself well in this country I am literally the face of walking. How can I, how can I do some good? But also, you know, how can I keep my sort of income going after after sport off everything I've achieved? And that's where sort of walking with Tom is what I called it. But usually I pair it up with if if a company comes to me, I'd I would use the company name and then walking with Tom. And yeah, I thought, well, walking is so simple and it's proven that it works whether yeah. that's walking more in your lunch break or walking to work, walking the kids to school. I don't know. It's so, it's so individual and so personal. And that's what I had to kind of work out was how can I create an initiative where people of all sorts of different lifestyles are going to need to access this and how can I make it so it, it works, people get something out of it, they enjoy it. And 
and as I say, it's, it's accessible to all. And it's a great thing about walking. It was, we went down the typical line of step count and and a group, a sort of a, a big goal and an end goal that if everybody pulls together and does their little bit, it will achieve something great. And then you can stick in little initiatives, team people up into little teams. And when people get, some people get really competitive and they love that and it pushes them more. Other people, not so much. So if you make that bit non-compulsory sort of thing, you don't have to be in a team. You can just do your own steps and it all counts towards the main goal. You know, it's just trying to be creative with it. And, and you know, one company, they they donated a load of money to chosen charities of the groups or the individuals. or And each week they had the person who walked the most steps and, you know, they would get some money given to charity. And it was just, I loved how how different companies, especially through COVID, really got behind it and and utilized it to to help so cool. their their staff so cool Tom it's amazing and I think as you say it's super accessible for so many people I think it's um you kind of make it you know when I read your is it best 5k is 18 minutes and 20 seconds my best run 5k is 19 minutes you know like <laughs> I think it when people you can obviously do anything to us an extreme level you're walking whenever but I think there's also that whole element. It really is about being active, which I think is can be often lost, you know. And, and then to build collaboration and team culture through that activity is really, really awesome. So, so Tom, I'm just wanted to, given the time here, I just want to understand what's next for you. Like, how do you think about success? You're a kind of no expectation kind of guy, or maybe you're now the other extreme. Now maybe you've got extreme expectations for what success looks like. But what does that next chapter look like for you? Yeah, my expectations are to not, you know, it, it was important for me to, in my career, I learned not to just identify as Tom the athlete. I had to be, there had to be more to me to keep me going, to keep me motivated. Uh, and that became, you know, I became Tom the husband. I'm, I'm a son. I'm a brother. You know, I, those sorts of things were also, they became successful to me, even though they're, quite straightforward things but can I be a good son can I be a good husband Uh, you know that that those were things that were suddenly part of my success or not Um, and I've carried that on post-retiring it's like I want to throw myself into various lines of work I want to build my media career in in the UK it's it's trying to get my name out there a little bit more I want to keep pushing my event and making sure that doesn't disappear off off the athletic scene now I've gone. But also I want to support all athletes, all young athletes as well. And yeah, so I'm juggling a lot, which I'm quite enjoying because now I don't have the worry of doing all this stuff and, oh, I've got to fit 20 kilometres in this morning as well. (laughs) And the same again this afternoon or whatever. So Yeah, exactly. So yeah, for me now it's like, how can I do all of that and be, be a successful husband? A successful dog owner you know whatever personal things are I've learned to sort of channel them as 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 forms of motivation and success as, as well as the work side of things um, and for me that's that's it just makes every day sort of a little bit more interesting and a little bit more worthwhile because when you take those other things for granted you know and, and whether it be training or work it, and it's not going well, or you've had a bad day or something, if you, if you don't appreciate what you're walking home into, 
it's just it'll take the shine off it all eventually you take things for granted you you ignore the important things and ultimately that that is the important thing so having a successful lifestyle relationship and that's almost more valuable than than the uh, the work side of things i love that what a beautiful answer tom it's really cool so uh, tom thank you mate it's been awesome to chat to you you've had yeah, you've achieved a lot in a very short period and i feel like there's there's a lot more you the world's gonna get from you so yeah mate thank you for joining us it's been a pleasure and uh my leader there thank you for having me. Thank you.